It's ten times the terror. Hello there. Okay, and welcome to Ten Times the Terror. And my name is Ralph. And I'm Paul. Hey, Paul. And today we're going to talk about the 1954 Warner Brothers film classic, Them. And uh, what an ideal setting for that film uh, to be made in 1954. Because as you know, Paul, it was a time of the Cold War hysteria at its peak. You remember the A-bomb and... And that whole oh, yeah. mentality in grammar school were duck and cover. Oh, Remember yes. That duck and cover. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell, was, uh, tell them it, what that was. Tell it was. Well, they, yeah. They, go was, under your was, desk. Yeah, it was this idea that, and, and again, where we're living, we're, we're like, you know, only about 12 miles from Times Square. And it was this <laughs> idea that there'd be an atomic bomb could go off in Times Square. And what we were supposed to do was you know, duck and cover was to. Get get down on our hand on our hands and knees, crawl under our desk, put our hands over our head, and that was going to somehow you know uh, make us safe from an A bomb. Well, well, <laughs> the government, as, the as, government as, had as an eight year old kid. It's like really, you know, this was an era of paranoia. It's also the era of the McCarthy period, and okay. uh, that just is coming to an end in 1954. But uh, McCarthy held the. Uh, whole parts of the culture hostage politicians he certainly affected the arts uh later on uh, you right, know he even right, went after right, comic right. books uh did right. all of this well, well all, all of this kind of it was all a, a nightmare it's sort of what we're living with today it was all this conspiracy theories and and that right. uh, communists had infiltrated <laughs> the military that was the final end of this for mccarthy uh yeah so yeah, it, well um, there it, it was a very tense period and yeah, somebody the, said, uh, we were the first, the baby boomers were the first generation to grow up with the concept that the whole world could be destroyed. That's right. Yeah. And um, one, one of the things was it wasn't just the bomb, the, uh, the immediate bomb. You know, there was this whole understanding now of radiation, lingering radiation became one of the big themes, of course, in sci-fi, because it started out with Warner Brothers having a ver very big successful hit. In 1952, Beasts from 20,000 Fathoms, in which a nuclear bomb uh, brings back to life uh, this, this giant dinosaur. Then it went into the movie Them. Then it went into the movie Godzilla. And then it went into the movie uh, The Incredible Shrinking Man. It was the uh, ultimate yeah. nightmare and enemy because you didn't understand it or see it. But it certainly was there. And uh, I think that uh, the film uh, really puts this into a larger perspective. And I think Warner Brothers was very smart uh, to bring it into that kind of perspective because uh, they had a great success with Beasts from 20,000 Fathoms in 1952. They, they actually bought the film uh, for a very uh, small sum, I think it was like $200,000, and they made like about $10 million on it. So they had their mind on the budget and what they could make. But it also had a, a an all-star cast. You had uh, James Whitmore, who was already mm -hmm. a very established actor. You had J uh, James Arness, six foot seven, who had starred in the Thing movie and was making his way into a larger setting. 
uh, he wound up going on to gun smoke, as you know, for many years. The guy was six foot seven. You imagine that? Yeah. And uh, I didn't know this, but uh, Peter Graves was his brother. Did you know that from Mission Impossible? I think I did. Now you say that. Yeah. Yeah. And then Peter had, Graves is uh, in a lot of these Edmund, movies, too. Oh, yeah. And yeah. Edmund Gwen, of course, from Miracle on 34th Street. I think everybody right. that saw the movie then said, hey, there's there's uh, Santa Claus. Santa Claus. You know? There's there's Santa Claus. And you had and again, John he was Weldon. an Academy Award winner. Um, yeah. The other yeah. thing that's so the, important about them, if I can interject this, is contrary to what comes up later in that in that decade, it's not a B movie. And there are a no. lot of these quickies, you know, in uh, Beige of the Saucer Man and all this, you know, these kind of kind of crazy stuff, uh, you know, the, the crawling eye and whatever else. Uh, there, there were lots of those. Um, I, I think it's interesting. By 1955, all the major studios have made their their great sci fi film. I mean, you, you start out with 20th Century Fox, Day the Earth Stood Still in 1951. Mm-hmm. War of the Worlds with Which Paramount, Paramount right? in 1953. Yeah. You have MGM, Invasion uh, of Rather Them. You have, again, Universal, Creature from the Black Magloo. Uh, Mag- <laughs> Creature from the Black Magloo, yeah, Universal, uh, right. And then you have, um, you know, they, they all make their mark. And um, I guess we should say what the film is about. It centers... Uh, on these uh, giant carnivorous ants who are the product of the radiation fallout from the nuclear testing in uh, New Mexico. New Mexico, which, and, which uh, was, very, was very real and, and had, very you know, real. was in everybody's memory because that's where the, uh, oh. the atomic bomb came from that ended World War II. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and they're found, the giant ants are found in the New Mexico desert. And I remember the crazy sound these things made. Oh, yeah. Listen to this. <laughs> Could you remember seeing that when you were a kid, Paul? Yeah, you know, I, I, I think I, I didn't see it when it first came out because I was only eight years, uh, even uh, seven. When did it first come out? I actually was seven years old. I wasn't, my parents weren't taking me to that. But I did see it uh, when I was like in junior high. We would be the, they would have these um, Saturday matinees at the local theater and they would show you two, like two monster movies, two sci fi movies. Yeah. And, and 10 cartoons and then some short three stooges or whatever, you know, which was, you, well, you, you I had to you, you, you pay 50 cents and you, you were there from one o'clock till five o'clock with the, you know, Two B movies and a bunch of cartoons. Yeah, great. Well, my sister, my sister dated a, a my sister uh, back in 1953 and 54 was dating an usher named Harold, and I used to always go into the movie theater with my sister because my father did not trust my sister being alone with a guy. So I would kind of uh, be be the go between, and so I saw all these movies when they actually first came out, and I remember seeing them. And, you know, what's interesting, too, with the uh, film, finally, finally, a woman has more of a role in the sci-fi film than just serving coffee. I mean, she's uh, Joan Weldon is a real-life scientist. As a matter of fact, she confronts James Arness, you know. Uh, she stands yeah. up to him. And uh, so this, this, um, this 
this is the first time a woman, I think, in sci-fi films really has a major role in authority. I had the pleasure of uh, meeting Joan. Uh, she had written an article in Film Pack Sci-Fi magazine in 2002 about the movie. And in the movie, I mean, in the uh, interview, in the, in the magazine interview, she complained about the film. She never realized, like most of these people, that they would go on to be a classic. And she said, you know, when we made the film, it was nothing but dust everywhere. She said the wind blew. It was 110 degrees. And all I could think of was I can't wait for this film to end because there's dust everywhere. It gets into your food, your clothes, your eyes. So I wrote her an article, uh, not an article, a letter uh, saying, you know, Joan, I really appreciated the film. And I think you need to understand that, uh, number one, this film alerted people in a way that few you know, recognized then of the dangers of radioact radioactive fallout. I said, I said, and you did a great service in that film. And secondly, I said, you know, dust, don't put down dust because that's the stuff we're made of. And God <laughs> could take the ordinary dust of life and make, make a, a great creation out of it. And she wrote me back. She said, no, of all the thousands of letters I've gotten over the years from fans, yours was the nicest. So I said, well, in, in, in lieu of that, would you come? And uh, let me show the movie to an audience and uh, be our star for the night. And she said, oh, oh, I haven't done that in years. But she did come. And uh, I'll talk about that in a few moments. But uh, some of her recollections from the film is, first of all, you had Edmund Gwynn, like I said, who plays her father and is a scientist as well. She said he was 77 years old when he made the movie. And he had terrible arthritis. She said they actually had to put a special chair down for him because he had to sit between takes and he could not walk around. And they would literally pick him up and put him into the scene. So mm. I thought that was kind of interesting. And, you know, you had, uh, you know, as we watched the film, uh, she gave us these uh, little parts of, of things that I had never seen before. You know, there's three major actors in that film that would uh, be, would become a uh, people of, of great recognition. I never realized it. First of all, you, you remember Fess Parker? Sure. Davey Crockett? He's yeah, the guy and this is the year before that, season. right. Yeah, and then you had you have this scene I never saw before uh, until I recognized it with Leonard Nimoy from Star Trek. He's in the film. Uh, he's oh, wow. one of the soldiers. And then you had Richard Deegan who played uh, uh, Lumpy's dad on Beaver, and then he went on to play Mel in Dick Van Dyke. So uh, it was it's it's interesting, you know, uh, but yeah. I was scared when I saw that film. I guess you were, too, huh? Yeah, I was a little older. I was probably around uh, 12 or 13 when I finally saw it, because it would have been one of these uh, Saturday matinees. You know, uh, I, the only thing, the only other thing about um, in terms of Hollywood scene, and Joan Weldon, if you look her up and I, I did that just a little while ago, was really quite a. a, a He's like a, a glamorous, a pinup queen type, uh, you know, w which they would normally have in, in these films. But for once, she's an actual scientist. Oh, yeah. So they, they, uh, certainly, yeah, yeah. they go into the, to the convention of having a glamorous woman as, as the star. Uh, but at least they elevated her to the level where she's not just a love interest, but she's actually a scientist. Oh, yeah. And, and, and Joan told me that there was this, Young girl, you can remember the classic part where uh, Sandy D Sandra Dysher 
who plays the little girl. Remember this? Mom! Yeah. Mom! <laughs> He's well, screaming. He also has the name of the movie, yeah. Well, you know, she told me uh, when, when I interviewed her, Joan said that little girl, Sandra, who's now 72 years old, uh, she told me that the little girl didn't know that she was going to be in the whole movie. For some reason, she thought she was going to play a major part in the film. So when they, when she does the screaming and they say cut, she said, Mommy, what does cut mean? And she says, that means we're done. She says, are we done for today? No, we're done with the movie. With and the she movie, said, the yeah. little girl, the, the little girl cried the whole day. But this, this brings up another important point about the horror and sci-fi genres, both of them that this is the only way that you really can deal with the issue of, uh, of children being vulnerable or children even being molested. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, you see this, in, and it's a major theme, whether it's Dracula, Frankenstein, or them. Uh, they have a critical yeah. theme here of, of children being molested. And uh, yeah, later on in the Hammer films, who uh, you know, we'll, we'll talk about it. I'm a real devotee of them, both horror and sci-fi. And actually, uh, Quartermass and the Five Million uh, Years to Earth has just come out in a 20, uh, mean, yeah, right. digital remastered uh, Blu-ray edition. But uh, uh, actually, Hammer did a film uh, called Never Take Candy from a Stranger and about really about the whole issue of uh, head-on of child molestation and it really, it was and is unwatchable. They had to pull it out of, out of uh, circulation. It was bombing at the box office. It was, it's just a topic that's too difficult to deal with. But what I'm trying to get, get back to say is that when you put it into a fantasy context, you can talk about it. I mean, what are fairy tales about but children who are at risk? You know, Little Red Riding Hood, Hansel and Gretel, you know, on and on you can go. Children at risk. And... Uh, it's one of the major issues in, in all of life, and the, and you cannot deal with it directly because it's just too sensitive. Yeah, I, you know, and, and I think she did a great a great part. I mean, she's very convincing in, in that little, you know, that's one of those iconic sci-fi scenes oh, with yeah. her screaming. And you, you haven't seen the creature yet. Uh, and, and just by her sense of terror and, uh, and that scream, it, it, it reminds you that there's something coming in this film that's that that you don't really want to see. I mean, it's really a frightening scene. And I think, uh, you know, a lot of the critics even today say it stands up very well, which is another important part of, of, of film is that, you know, it's not just the creatures, it's, it's the acting, it's the script, it's the timing. I mean, uh, yeah. if you watch the film, it's almost like a film noir kind of film in which you have a mystery there. It's a thrilling mystery of trying to find out, Who's done the crime? Because the person that gets killed in the beginning, all you hear are the are those insects that I played, and you're wondering like who who is who is the enemy here? Who who is the uh, fiend? And and you it really plays out like a mystery with the footprints of these creatures and so forth until it gets to that part where you see them. And these things but, were huge. I mean, uh, Warner Brothers, uh, the, the these props were like twelve feet long. I mean, I've seen them on wires. It's amazing how large they were. They ran on motors, and they had to have fans, electric fans, out on the desert on the set. 
So the fans would cool you off, Joan said, but they would also pull up all the dots. Yeah, so he was like a two-edged sword, you know. Yeah. Uh, I like what Steven Spielberg uh, has to say about the film because obviously it made a big impact on him. And, uh, 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 you know, as you know, we always like to try to bring in something here of, of a spiritual nature. Uh, uh, Spielberg said, you know, the, 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 the doctor who's played by Gwen uh, actually spells out the gospel here. He said because he says very clearly that, you know, uh, that, that we did this. It, this is not a creature that came out of space. It's not something you know, uh, outside of us, it's, it's something that we did. And I think uh, Mm -hmm. Japan, uh, when they made the Godzilla movie, I think that was clearly one of their objectives is that, you know, we have created some, we have unleashed the monster. We have done it and we're responsible and we're accountable. And all the misery and horror here is something that we ourselves have produced. I mean, there are people who are, I, I, I don't know, if this is true or not, uh, you know, it's been spun so many times, but even with the virus, people are saying, did that come out of a certain nation, out of a laboratory? Have we created that? Well, whatever happens, um, you know, in, in, in the scripture, in the Bible, you know, uh, all that we see of the misery and horror that, that, that happens in, in, in our world uh, to, 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 to the greatest degree, uh, we are the guilty ones. We have created that. I think it's striking, too, that this is not a conventional monster. We're dealing with ants. Ants are not something that people are scared of. You know, fire-breathing gigantic lizards like a Godzilla. Yeah, that's scary for anybody. Uh, Or a creature from the Black Lagoon type of thing. But ants are kind of innocuous until they become giant (laughs) and start marching Yeah, well, well, when when Gwen shows the film to the uh, Washington, to the people in Washington, Uh, He says ants are the most tenacious of creatures. They make war. They're organized. They're ruthless. Um, And he said, you know, he said, uh, unless these uh, queen ants are found, uh, man as the dominant species will be extinct within one year. I mean, could you imagine yeah, thousands yeah. of giant ants walking around the neighborhood? <laughs> right, right, right. I mean, uh, an ant geez. can pick up 20 times its weight. Yeah. So they are a fearful thing, just like uh, you, you had some of these kind of issues in a lot of science fiction uh, films where, like, think of the blob, right? I mean, when the guy oh, picks yeah. up the blob out of that meteor, it's just a little piece of jello. And suddenly it, it takes over his hand, takes over his body, takes over the town. So these little things that, uh, and again, I guess you get that whole picture in War of the Worlds, where the littlest things, bacteria, mm-hmm. uh, you know, wind up destroying the, the Martians. Yeah. And, uh, and there's a biblical reference and, there, you know, to uh, uh, the plague and the uh, Sennacherib, or yeah. also Sennacherib's uh, yeah, yeah, sure, army sure, sure. Uh, from yeah. the Old Testament. The other, the other spiritual theme here, uh, besides the idea of guilt, is redemption. Because I, I like the, I like the ending where uh, Whitmore, who's playing the police officer, uh, sacrificially gives his life for the children. You remember that scene where yeah. the kids are are in in the tunnel, and uh, he has every opportunity himself to go inside that tunnel and pull them out. 
from inside where he's safe, but instead he 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 gives up his self himself to uh, saving those children, and in turn he dies. So you have that whole Christ-like figure. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, right, right. yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, the film's available on DVD. I think Warner Brothers has done a great job on their Blu-ray version. If you haven't seen the film, you need to see it. If you've seen it but you've never seen it. In the Blu-ray version, you really owe it to yourself to watch it. It's a classic, great film. Um, I love it. I've watched it. Uh, gosh, I must have watched this film 30 times, Paul. And every time I watch it, uh, I'm, again, just brought into the story because it's just a wonderful, wonderful story. And the acting is superb. Uh, Joan said, uh, I, I told Joan, you know, one thing I didn't like when I watched uh, sci-fi movies as a kid, I don't know how you felt about it. I said, one thing I didn't like is when they brought a woman in, because invariably there'd be some kind of romantic stories like, oh, I don't want to watch them kissing. Bring yeah, on right. the monsters, you know. Yeah, right, but right, she right. said, you know, Warner Brothers specifically told her, she said, uh, Gordon Douglas was the one who uh, did the film. Douglas specifically told her, we don't want any romance between you and, um, you know, the, the main your main actor there. Um, because he said that that would take away from the film. And, and um, James Arness, she said, was a very handsome guy. Yeah, <laughs> and right. uh, and yet there's really no no romance there at all between the two. They're just kind of uh, in a friendship relationship. But uh, it, it's, it is a great film. And uh, um, I, I certainly enjoyed doing this particular show in memory of Joan for having uh, spent some time with me. And uh, hopefully she'll listen to this. We can get a copy of this out to her. Uh, Joan, God bless her, is 90, 90 years old this year and uh, still going strong, I believe, out in Florida. So, Joan, if you're listening, we wish you the very best and want to thank you for listening to the show today. And so this is Ralph with 10 Times the Terror signing off. We'll catch you next time. Until then, 10 Times the Terror signing off. This is Ralph. Take care. This is Paul. So long. Thank you for listening to me. It's ten times the terror. The you are impossible.